All right, let's take our Bibles. We'll turn tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians tonight, chapter number 12. I have enjoyed the good singing tonight. All of it's been precious. I appreciate the good songs that we can sing unto the Lord and sing unto Him. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Most of you are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I want to read a couple of verses in your hearing, and then I'll let you be seated. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. Apostle Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and he said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. We'll leave off reading with verse number 8. That's reading those two verses, verse 7 and verse number 8. And with the help of God tonight, I want to preach on truths. Concerning the thorn. Truths tonight concerning the thorn. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. We do appreciate you being here tonight. Good to have all those that are visiting with us. When you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, most of you are pretty familiar with this passage of Scripture. You know that in, even back in chapter number 10 and chapter number 11, Paul's apostleship has been called into question. And he's been uh, questioned about whether he's a true apostle or not. And he tells us that in chapter number 11, if you'll notice... Well, in verse number 1, it says, Would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, and that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." For if he that cometh, he's talking about somebody's coming now behind him. If, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom, ye have not, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle, though I be rude in speech, but not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. And what's been happening right here, his apostleship has been called into question. And when it was, we found out things like in chapter number 11, verse number 24, all the way down through verse 30, he talks about the things that he endured for the Lord Jesus. How that the apostle Paul, he talks about how that he has suffered more than all the rest of those other preachers. He talked about in verse 24 of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes saved one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside those things are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches so he's trying he speaks even in the third person so that he'll not receive any of the glory and he's trying to show them that he is a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ 
So we come here to this chapter 12 uh, where it deals with the thorn uh, that was given to Paul. I want you to notice with me in verse 1 down through verse number 6. Uh, and now this is more than just an outline, more than just a history lesson about the Apostle Paul. Sooner or later, uh, you too probably will encounter a thorn in the flesh. Now the Bible does not specifically tell us what his was. We have our ideas and everybody says it's this and says it's that. Some believes that it was his poor eyesight. He wrote to the church of Galatia, only six short chapters. But in Galatians chapter 6 verse 11, he said, You see how large a letter I write unto you. It was not a lengthy letter, but evidently he wrote with large letters so that he could see what he was writing. Many believe that Paul suffered from poor eyesight. We know that he was rude in speech. He told us that a while ago. And they even said that in speech he is contemptible. I do not know in what way the messenger of Satan buffeted him. But whatever way that it was, Paul felt like he could be better used of God if this thorn was removed from him. Now notice how this thorn came about. In verse 1 down through verse number 6, you see God. You see the glory of of God as it were. God honors the Apostle Paul. He honors him by allowing him to go to glory. Now he's still talking about this man Paul in the third person. Verse Chapter 12 verse 1. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions. And he had those friends. Paul had visions. That's how that he was saved. I mean Christ revealed himself to the Apostle Paul. I will come to visions and revelations. He had revelations. He had a revelation of the gospel of the grace of God and how God was going to graft in the Gentile into the family of God. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. That means more than 14 years. How much more? We don't know. But above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth that such a one called up to the third heaven. And Paul is talking about himself. I personally believe this probably happened to Paul when he was stoned and left outside the city of Lystria and he was left for dead. That's a good place where it could have happened. He said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And then he said in verse 3, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. You ever heard this crowd that said they died and went to heaven and they heard this and they heard that and they saw this and saw that? Well, isn't it amazing Paul did go to heaven but he was not allowed to say anything about what he saw or what he heard. Several years ago a man by the name of Oral Roberts said he saw a 900 foot Christ in a vision and that Christ he saw said if you don't raise so many million dollars I'm going to kill you and take you to heaven. And there's a man that owned a racetrack, a dog racetrack in Florida, sent the money in. By the way, listen, he's a fraud and a thief.
speak. Him, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, and the whole crowd, friend. Put them in a half a bushel basket and shake them up. And one, listen, I wouldn't give you a dime for any of them. They're false prophets. If Benny Hinn has so much power, why don't he heal his own head? You ever notice how he parts his hair over here? And he combs it around like this. And the reason is he's bald-headed. He can't even grow hair on his head. And you're going to trust him to heal you. I've got some land outside of Manhattan, New York that I'd like to sell you after service. I'm telling you, Paul heard things and he saw things that it was unlawful for a man to utter. Now this crowd that says they've died seven times and the doctor resuscitated them and brought them back, I don't put any stock in that. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. Now there's your Bible. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. You say, but Brother Buster, right? Grandma said she saw heaven. Papa said he saw. I don't know what all they saw. But I'm telling you what Paul saw. The Lord said it's unlawful for you to tell it, Paul. You can't talk about it. So for 14 years, I mean, he's been carrying this thing around in his heart. He's been to heaven. He's been to paradise. Heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He said in verse 5, of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. I'm talking about God honored the Apostle Paul and let him go into paradise, let him go into the third heaven and hear things that were unlawful to even talk about. No wonder, ladies and gentlemen, when he wrote the book of Philippians, he said, for me to live is to, for me to die is to gain and to live is Christ. Philippians 1.23, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You know why he said that? He had done been to heaven, friend. He had done seen things and heard things that, that he couldn't tell nobody about but he said I'm in a strait betwixt two hey you wouldn't want to sing that song around him wait a little longer please Jesus man I got in a mess here a while back I was out on the mountain and they had the boys from Florida you can figure it out for yourself that, that's out there singing that, and they sung one of them songs about wait a little longer I couldn't help it it come out in the message I was trying to preach on the second coming that, I said John the Revelator wouldn't want to hear that I mean Revelation 22 verse number 10 I believe it is no, to Revelation 22 verse 20 he said even so come quickly Lord Jesus and he said amen so come he wanted I used to quote that I thought I could Revelation 22 verse number 20 he which testifieth these things saith surely I come quickly John said amen even so come Lord Jesus John wanted Jesus to come right then I like what brother Jackson said up here a while ago you say, well, he's just an old man, and he's tired of living. Well, I'm 50, and I'm tired of living down here. I've seen enough sin, sadness, and sorrow, and sickness, death, and disease, heartache, and heartbreak, and I'm a longing for heaven, friend. I wish the Lord would come back tonight, too. 
I wished you'd come back tonight. You talked about revival. Brother, it'd break out then. <laughs> Amen. We'd have a real revival then after we got past the judgment seat. Don't forget the judgment seat's coming. And when we get past that, there's the marriage of the Lamb. And thank God after that, there's a thousand-year honeymoon. And we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And after that, there's the eternal ages. I say even so come quick God honored the apostle Paul With glory and let him go to glory God honored him But then you see God's goodness God had to humble the apostle Paul In verse number 7 and 8 That's what this thorn business is all about The Bible said in verse number 7 And lest I should be exalted above measure Through the abundance of the revelations There was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, do you understand this is God's goodness? God did not want the Apostle Paul to become exalted above measure. He could have. Why, he could have bragged on himself and told what he'd seen and what he had heard, and he could have done that legitimately. But the Lord allowed a messenger from Satan's headquarters to tag along with the Apostle Paul to keep him from being exalted above measure. Now, if God did this for the Apostle Paul, you better mark it down. He doesn't want us to get exalted above measure. He doesn't want us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we're not to measure ourselves by ourselves. And you've read those certain kind of cliches in the Bible. God help us. I tell you what the Bible said. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In due time. If I could take most of us and sell us for what we think we're worth, praise God, I wouldn't have to preach again except when I wanted to. And I do, I'm preaching tonight because I want to. I could retire, go into semi-retirement, amen. Take a cruise every now and then. If I could sell you for what you think you're worth, but in reality, if you knew what we was worth, Dad had that all figured up one time. He said if you melt the human body down and sell it for soap, we was worth about $3.98. And that's been 25 years ago. With the price of inflation, I guess we're worth about $9 now. Now that'll knock a pride out of all of us. You hear me? If they mailed us down and sold us for soap, we might bring $9. <laughs> we're not worth too much, are we? But to ourselves, oh, sometimes the way we carry ourselves and strut our stuff. You know what? Our brother got on that yesterday morning in the Sunday school hour. I'm talking about he got to dealing with that thing of pride and men lifting up themselves and things. And then there's that false humility. It's about as sick as pride is. I remember, I remember a man talking about he was going to write a book on humility, but he was having to wait for his picture to come out before he could have it printed. Huh? Now that's real humility. I know another man. This is so now. I know this man well. He said, do you notice? Have you noticed how humble I am? Have you noticed how humble I am? I'm going to tell you something. He had a false humility, and in the eyes of God, he looked like a peacock strutting his feathers about being humble. And Brother Snow got on it Sunday morning in Sunday school. Some people want to wear old clothes. They want to dress like that just so folk will notice them and say, My, how poor. Aren't they humble? Hey, 
I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with riches as long as riches don't have you. And as long as God has your riches, there's nothing wrong with riches. Amen. So you see God's goodness, he humbles Paul. There's some things that I saw in this. There's God's sovereign purpose, and it was to guard Paul. It was to guard him against being exalted above measure. And the method that God chose, he said, Paul said, there, there was given to me. That word given means to bestow, to grant like a kingly gift. There was given to Paul from heaven, mind you, there was given to him. He didn't ask for this gift. And when he began to unwrap it, it wasn't what he thought it was. And he prayed three times it might depart from him. But it was given to him. Given to him. Now it's getting awful quiet. This is a gift right here I don't think many of us want. But we do say, and I believe you're honest when you say, I want to be more like Jesus. I believe you're honest when you say, I want to know more about my Lord. And I want to be a mature and a steadfast and a settled Christian. You know what that implies? 1 Peter 5.10 But the God of all grace who hath called us into His eternal glory after that you have suffered a while make you make you established and strong and strengthen and settle you after that you suffer a while. In Philippians 1.29 the Bible said for unto you it is given not only in the behalf of Christ to believe on Him but also to suffer for His name's sake. It's given. It's a divine bestowment. God's going to give you the gift to suffer for Him. So we can be more like Him. It's the Christian paradox, friend. And so what God does right here, His sovereign purpose is to guard Paul from being exalted above measure. The method is that He gives him something. And what it is, it's the messenger of Satan. And the Bible said it was the messenger of Satan that brought a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh is what it said in verse 7. There was given unto me a, a thorn in the flesh. That's what it said. There was given, to, lest I should be exalted above the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Now here I see the misery of thorn, not a prickly little thorn like his own rose bushes that you might stick in, and that hurts, and, but you can pull it out. But this word thorn is like a stake that men were impaled upon and thrust through with, and they were used this thorn to crucify men. I'm telling you, it was something that brought misery. It brought hurt. Somebody said, well, God will never hurt you. Why don't you ask the Apostle Paul if that thorn in the flesh didn't hurt? Why don't you? asked him if that messenger of Satan that, that buffeted him that, and that word buffet means to beat with the fist that, to beat black and blue that, why don't you ask Paul if that didn't hurt Amen. somebody said God will never hurt you oh God will let you get hurt friend God will let you get hurt but God will never harm you right. now listen to what I'm telling you God will let you get hurt but he'll never harm you We've got, we've got a misconception about God will never hurt you. Hey, don't you think that hurt? Don't you think that hurt the Apostle Paul? Sure it did. Well, I'm going to tell you, it was so bad and excruciating. He prayed three different times that God would remove it. So you see the method that God does, the method he used, he gives it to Paul. He didn't ask Paul if he wanted it, but he knew it was what Paul needed. 
At Christmas time, when you was growing up, or just recently for some of you youngins, have you ever received it for a gift, a pair of gloves? <laughs> and you was looking for a train. Have you ever received a pair of socks and you was looking for a bobsled? I mean, have you ever received, uh, I, I mean, listen, a pair of blue jeans and you was hoping, my, my, for a little race car? And you say, how, how unnecessary. No, your parents knows what you need. They know what you need in your life. And God knows what we need to make us to be the best for God. And it's not that we've got it all wrong, this health and wealth and prosperity. I'm telling you, God is determined to conform all of us to the image of Christ. Amen. And it's the trials, it's the heartaches, it's those pressure places in our life where God puts the pressure on. It's how the potter works in the clay. He sticks his fingers on the inside. He never does it without water. Oh, that water moistens the clay and softens the clay. He works from the inside out and he pulls and stretches and then puts the thing in the keel, puts it in the fire but he never puts one vessel at a time in the fire. There'll be four or five or six. He never heats up that keel for just one vessel. That'll dawn on you one these days. You're not the only one in the fire, friend. God's got several vessels in there at a time and he has a little that's what that man does, that potter. And he knows just how much pressure and how much fire that the vessel can take. And what he's doing when he's working that clay, he'll feel something in there and he'll take his little old stick like and dig it in and pull it out, throw it out of there. Maybe it was a rock or a piece of a, a glass or maybe it's a piece of straw and he'll pull that out of there. See, if that's left in there, when it goes into the keel, the vessel will explode and expand and explode. See, the Lord knows what he's doing as he's making us. <laughs> and so the sovereign purpose is to guard Paul. Boy, he could have done a lot of bragging, couldn't he? Man, he went to the third heaven. And he had seen things. You said, well, that's what he's doing right here, Brian. No, no. He's having to vindicate his apostleship. So you see the method of history that the thorn brought. But then notice, if you would, the messenger. The Bible said, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What was it, Paul? What was your thorn in the flesh? The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's the meaning for the thorn. Can you imagine when God leaned over to Satan's headquarters and said, Hey, devil, I need one of your demons. I need one of your messengers. I need one of your cohorts. And I maybe hear the devil say back, Father, God, what do you need him for? I want him to tag along with the Apostle Paul. I want him to beat Paul black and blue. I'm going to turn him loose on Paul. And for 14 years, this had been going on in Paul's life. And he had never told a soul about it. You let us go through a little problem. Let us go through a little bit of pain. or a little. Bit. We'll tell everybody about it. I mean, we'll tell everybody about it. Huh? It's hard for us to keep our mouth shut. You hear me? It's hard for Brother Buster to keep his mouth shut. I mean, if we do happen to pray an hour, we're going to let it slip out before it's over with. If we do miss one or two meals, we're going to let it slip out. I can't go to Shoney's tonight. I, I can't go. I'm a fasting. Honey, you done got your reward right there. I mean, you done got it. You might as well go on down to Shoney's and eat. It's hard for us to keep our mouth shut. And so the messenger was from Satan's headquarters. 
And the thing, the, the messenger began to, I mean, torment the Apostle Paul. I don't know in what way exactly it, did, it happened, but whatever it was working in Paul's life, Paul felt he could be more useful. He felt he could be more useful in the service of God if God would remove this. So you see, not only the sovereign purpose was to guard him, but the servant's prayer, that was great. I'm going to tell you something. This wasn't no little thing, friend. This wasn't a stump toe. This wasn't an ingrown toenail or fingernail that was pricked. I mean, Paul had a thorn. The messenger of Satan buffeting his life. And Paul besought the Lord three times. Three times. I wonder if Paul maybe, as, as we look at Paul, Paul is just a, a faint reflection of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was looking at a cup and he prayed three times, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. And on the third and final time, and you'll find those prayers were an air in interval for him, that he prayed three hours that night and he finally said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus stopped praying. He never mentioned in prayer again about the cup, but he drank it that night. And the Bible said an angel came from heaven strengthening him. The apostle Paul prayed three different times, three different occasions. And listen to me, he knew how to pray. He knew how to ring the prayer bells of heaven. He knew how to get a hold of God. You hear me? He knew how to pray. And on three different occasions, I don't know if there's back to back, a week in interval, I don't know if there's, I don't know if it was a year in interval, I don't know, and you don't know either, the Bible doesn't say, but thrice he besought the Lord about this thing. That's what he tells us here. Verse number eight, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He said, Lord, would you let it depart? Would you take it away? Would you please take it away? Anything recently you've been praying that God would take away? You know what Paul did? He come to a place where he stopped praying. On the third time, Paul never mentioned it again as far as we have record of. Maybe his mind went back to what the Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane. You say, Brother Buster, was there an angel that came down from heaven and strengthened Paul? No. No, but there was a word that came from the glory world <laughs> and said, My grace is sufficient for thee. You see, Paul went from paradise to pain. He went from glory to groaning. He went from seeing heaven to suffering hell, if you will, through the messenger of Satan. He went from ecstasy to agony. All, at the, all in a moment's time, Paul prayed, Lord, please take this away. Please take this away. I say, I, I know, no doubt there's people here tonight, you feel like if God would just remove you from that, that individual you work beside I remember those days after I got saved. Some of the same men that I used to run with and, and partied with after I got saved, they taunted me and they tried to get me to get mad and get upset. I'd been known to fight and things like that when I was on the job. And they'd bring their time sheets and they'd want me to help them fill them out. And when they'd come to me, they'd turn it around. They'd have a Playboy fold out or something like that, something embarrassing. And they'd, they'd try to get me to get riled and get upset. And uh, I, I know what it is to have those people like that and try to work beside somebody and them cussing and blaspheming the name of the Lord. And you say, God, if I could just change shifts, if I could just work around somebody else. I mean, sometimes that's like a thorn in your life. But you know what? Instead of us praying for the removal of the thorn, we ought to ask God to let it be an opportunity, an opportunity to witness for him and to conduct ourselves in an orderly manner that they might see Christ. Hey, I'm telling you, friend, I mean, Christ in you, the hope of glory. People need to see the Lord Jesus. And I know you say, Brother Buster, they can't see Christ in me. They can only through our reactions to what they put us through. Amen. 
Now, if we blow off, if we let off steam and blow up, then we have fumbled the ball. We have missed a go. I have done it before. I'm ashamed of it, but I have, I'm afraid I've done it more times than I'd like to get, really tell you about. But there have been a few times by the grace of God, and it takes His grace to say, pardon me, and you go right ahead, sir, and, and not say a word. Just try to be a Christian about it. Amen. There's more to this thing of being a Christian than just coming to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It's living, listen, it's letting the Spirit of God live through us. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who died for me. And then the Spirit of God flowing through us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Man, I need more of that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. So you see, God, God's sovereign purpose was to guard him, and the servant's prayer was great, great. Don't you know he really wanted this thing to be gone? It was torturing him. It was beating him down, friend, and, and causing him to feel like he was less than what he could have been for the Lord. But then, not only do you see, you see the glory God honored him and the goodness God humbled him, but another truth about the thorn is God's grace. God helped him. God helped him right here now. Boy, he's praying, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And finally, he rests his case on the third time. Notice the Savior's proclamation that's glorious. And he said unto me, after Paul had stopped praying, after Paul had rested his case and he didn't mention it no more and he said unto me I like that the Savior's proclamation that's glorious and the sure provision right here is grace he said my grace is sufficient for thee he said Paul I'm not going to change your situation I'm not going to take the messenger of Satan away from you but I'm going to pour in an ingredient that pour my grace into you and let you glory in this thing. Now this is hard for me to even understand. The Bible said by grace, that's the author. He's the author of it. Whatever kind of grace you need tonight, he's the author of it. The Bible said in 1 Peter 5, 10, but the God of all grace. Aren't you glad he's the God of admitting grace and amazing grace and abounding grace? He's the God of, listen, beneficial grace and behaving grace and, and confessing grace and cleansing grace and comforting grace and, and delivering grace and dying grace and, and eternal grace and uh, fresh grace and, and right on through the alphabet, friend. Uh, I mean, hey, he's the God of all grace. Whatever kind you have need of tonight. Why, well, he's the author. He said, Paul, my grace. You see, there is the author. My grace. Not the grace of the church now. We might let you down. Or the grace of the brethren. I'll let you down, friend. But thank God the Lord Jesus will never, never, never let us down. He said, my grace is sufficient, Paul. I thought when I first read that years ago, I thought the word sufficient meant just enough for the journey. But I did a little word search, search on that little word sufficient. It ain't so little. It means more than enough. An abounding, abundant supply of grace. 
I heard this illustration. I've never have got over it. It ministered to my heart, and I've used it time and time again. Down in South Georgia during the time of the Depression, there was a family, some seven or eight kids, a mother and a dad, ten of them about all together. They had an old slat table there for their their table for their breakfast and lunch and supper table, and they had a, a little meal there. They lived off what they could get out of the garden. They had an old cow that they milked, but they had that glass of milk there on the table, and they had lines drawn around it, and they had a straw stuck in it, and what you did when it was your turn to drink, you drunk to the next line. Then you passed it to your brother or your sister and they drank to the next line. And then they passed it to their brother or sister or whoever's next in line. And one of the little girls got sick and had to take her to the hospital. The doctor said she's got to go in. They put her in the hospital, run some tests on her, found out what was wrong with her. And here come the nurse in and brought her a big old tray of food like you've seen at the hospitals. And she had a big lid on her and took it off and there was all kind of vegetables and some meat and there was a dessert and there there was a big tall glass of milk and a straw stuck in it. That little girl looked up from that bed and said, no lines, no lines. She said, I don't see no lines. And the nurse said, what are you talking about, honey? She explained her situation at home and said, when it's my time to drink, I drink to the next line that I got to pass it to my brother. That nurse started crying and she said, you just drink and drink and drink and drink. And if you drink all of that right there, she said, there's more from where that came from. You hear me? I, need, I tell you what we need to do uh, is take the straw of our need, uh, jam it in the reservoir of grace, uh, turn the spigot on, uh, and drink and drink and drink. Uh, he had grace in the 1900s. Uh, he's got grace in 2002. Uh, and if we're here in 2022, uh, he'll still have sufficient grace. Don't you think we're about to liquidate the grace of God? I mean, the Dow may be falling today and the stock market may be a crashing and the bull may be turning to a calf. I'm telling you the amazing grace of God is still sufficient. Sufficient. It is. I mean, you got to get locked in on that, friend. Amen. Say, it's for me. See, he said, my grace is sufficient. There's the author, there's the abundance, but my grace is sufficient for thee. And there's the applicant. Honey, I put my name in there. I pushed Paul out of the way and said, I'm glad it's good for you, Paul, but you in heaven now. You back up there where you saw. But I'm still down here and I need some grace. Paul don't need no more grace. Paul's run his race. Paul's in heaven tonight, friend. Hey, those in heaven don't need any grace. It's you and I down here. We need grace. And guess what? He's got it. He's got it. Lord, I'm so scared about dying, preacher. I'm so scared of dying. I'm so afraid of drawing that last breath. What you doing being scared about dying? You need some living grace, praying grace. Amen. Practicing grace. When it comes time to die, I believe there'll be dying grace. I've told that all over the country. Brother Monty Booker. Anybody ever heard the Booker family say? Brother Donnie hasn't. The Booker family, their dad, 54 years old the other day, it had been 55 his birthday if I remember right, I helped in his funeral. Brother Monty had a blood clot. They put a plate in his back. They had a wreck cut two years ago in Mississippi. Banged them all up and, and he had a plate put in back here and they were getting ready to take the plate out because there was infection. And there he kept telling this boy, Steve, he said, Steve, Steve's a young preacher. He said, Brother Buster, he talks about that dying grace. Preacher Lowe had dying grace. And, and these other ones he saw that had dying grace. He said, I just, I just wonder if that's really true. I wonder if it's like Brother Buster says it is. 
So Brother Lonnie, they started to take that plate out and there was a blood clot that was inside that infectious place there and that blood clot closed, cut loose and come straight to his heart, friend. He raised up in the bed. Brother Lonnie weighed about 360, 370 pounds. He was hanging on to his family's hands. He said, God, would you please let me breathe? I can't get no breath, but if you don't, it'll be all right. And he just laid right back down and went just... Made the crossing right there. Guess what God give him? Dying grace. And there'll be new grace when it's my time to go. Grace to cross the river. Grace to live forever. <laughs> Old brother Tom Hayes knocked a home run when he wrote that one down for him. Amen. There'll be new grace when it's my time to go. So you see here, God's grace, God helped him. You see the Savior's proclamation that was glorious. What Paul heard in heaven, he couldn't tell us. But what the sweet Holy Ghost whispered to him, Paul said, I'm going to pin that down. I'm going to write that down right here. I'm trying to vindicate my apostleship, and I'm going to write that down. God told me my grace is sufficient for... Boy, I'm glad he said that. I'm glad he put that in the Bible. There's been many of a believer rested their weary hearts on that verse right there. My grace is sufficient. God didn't take away the four now. Don't, don't, don't misread this. You see, God could have, but God didn't. But God gave Paul grace grace. The Savior's proclamation was glorious and the sheer provision was grace. But there's the suffering paradox that is the goal. There's something real kind of strange here. It's a paradox as it were. Paul said in verse number 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, what the Lord tells him goes on, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Paul learned something right here. And by the way, he had had this thing with him 14 years now. And uh, he has say, he's saying now to the believers, he's saying to those at Corinth, he's telling us today, he said, God told me that his strength is made perfect in weakness. If I understand that, right, we're really as strong as we are weak. And we're as weak as we think we are strong. If you think you're a strong, mature, upright, steadfast Christian, you're probably weak as water. <laughs> but if you realize you need the Lord Jesus every day of your life, you realize how weak and feeble and rotten this flesh is, and you realize you're capable of failure, I'm going to tell you something. You're probably strong and just don't know it. It's a, it's a paradox, friend. <laughs> Amen. That knocks the pride out of a lot of people. Yeah, we got these boys, boy, they know so much. And I, that's how I was. First three years I was a preaching. I knew everything. I had a, if I didn't know it, I'd give you an answer for it. I thought I knew it. I read Larkin's book on the dispensational book of truth. And I read that, listen, God help. I read Arthur W. Pink's book on the sovereignty of God. And like I lost my mind. I ain't sure I ever got my mind back after I read that book. And, but I'm telling you, I, I thought I knew everything those first three or four years. The further I go, the less I know. And the more I know, it's all of God. That's it. I remember Brother Roy Goodson making a statement years ago. He said, when you get a little older, young men, he said, you'll realize just how much you do need the Lord Jesus. I'm 50 now, and that's not young no more. That's not too old for some of you, but that's not young no more. I mean, I've done outlived my daddy five years. I thought he was an old, old timer when he died at 44. I've outlived daddy almost six years. I'm 50. And I know three score and tens, man's a lot of days. That's what I've got. It. And I don't believe God's going to let me live that long because it wasn't obedient to my mother and my dad. You see, the Bible said, Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, I didn't do that. So I do not expect, if Jesus doesn't come, I don't expect to make it to seven. 
Now, I'm not saying God has to do that. I'm not putting God in a corner or something. I'm just telling you, I wasn't obedient to mom and dad. And that is the promise of long life. So I'm a short time in it. If anything, I got to thinking about that the other day. It dawned on me. I mean, I'm short time and I'm getting down to the end of this thing maybe in my life. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not predicting anything's going to happen or anything like that. I'm just telling you, at the best, I've got 20 years. Now I've done put in 25. So half of my time, if I get to live to be 70, over half of my time to live for the Lord's done come and go. Hey, and the paradox is today, I, I'm learning a little bit, just a smidgen of this thing. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I called a certain lady the other day to tell her about Brother Monty Booker going home to be with the Lord. I called Brother, well, I actually called Brother James Corbett and Sister Nancy, and I told them, I didn't think anybody had told them, and they hadn't. And I said, I want you to pray for me. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just not doing good. She asked how I was doing health-wise. And she said, well, then you're probably going to have a good meeting because you're not doing too good. <laughs> you get to thinking you're doing good, you ain't going to have too good of a meeting. Boy, just let me at them. <laughs> I used to sit in those fellowships and say, just let me preach. Boy, I'll knock a home run so far they can't find the ball. Son, I went down swinging, striking out, looking, couldn't even see the ball. And then when I felt the weakest, I said, oh, God, don't let me preach. Lord, please don't let them call on me. And then Brother Sammy or Brother Langston, somebody called on me back there years ago. And, oh, Lord, help, I was scared to death. My knees felt like Belshazzar smoking each other. I mean, listen, I'd get up there and my mouth go like cotton. I'd get so sick and, I mean, just nauseated. I mean, sick to my stomach and my nerves shot and try to preach. And it's amazing what God did in spite of me. Not so much through me, but in spite of me. Now, if you think God's doing something through you, i got something else to tell you. God does it in spite of us. See the suffering paradox that is God's gold. Paul said, for my strength is made perfect. God said, Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The severest pressure in Paul's life made him aware of the sweetest presence. You know, if you really mean what you say when you say, I want to be more like Jesus, more of Jesus, I would know more of his love to others show, then you've asked for God to come into your life and back up a big dump truck load of suffering. Because that's what's going to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you said, I thought I'd get a new car. I thought, I thought I'd be booked up with meetings. I thought this had happened and that had happened. Somebody lied to you, friend. Old brother Watchman Nee and I love to read behind him. I've read his biography two or three times. Mr. Watchman Nee went before God when he got saved. And he said, Lord, I want your best. I want your best. I want to be the best Christian I can be for you. And his life was turned upside down. He was in the pharmaceutical business when he got saved. And he lost his job. His health fell apart. His friends and family forsook him. He crawled back into that secret place before God. And he prayed and said, Lord, I thought I asked for your best. And the Holy Ghost whispered and said, this is our best to make you be the best for God. It's the suffering paradox. That's right. It's not what you hear on the radio, on the televisions. It's not this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. So much of that's bled over into the independent movement. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. Some of the greatest Christians I know living are those who are suffering the worst. Seem like they're being beat down and can't hardly get one foot in front of the other. Seems like they make two steps forward and they go back three. You say, well, they're not victorious Christians. That's all you know. They may be more victorious than anybody in here. Amen. Notice the satisfied purpose which brought gladness. And I'm through with this. Verse number 9. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore. 
He said, I will rather glory in my infirmities. I would like for a psychiatrist uh, to get a hold of the Apostle Paul and psychoanalyze him. Come right on into my office, Brother Paul. Would you sit down here? Uh, Paul, I'd like to ask you, what do you glory in, sir? I glory in infirmities, beatings, sickness. I, I, that's what he said. I glory in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distress. You know what those things mean? I looked them up. He said, I glory in infirmities. That's feebleness of body or mind. That disease and sickness. I glory in reproaches, insults and injuries of harm by other people. I glory in necessities. That's being without the things that he needed. I glory in persecutions, being persecuted by other people. I glory in distresses, that narrowness of room, calamity and anguish. I glory in these things, sir. I could see that psychiatrist shaking his head and say, we need to give him shock treatment. He needs a Prozac and a double Prozac and a Welburn and a lithium. <sighs> Paul had learned a valuable lesson. The satisfied purpose after 14 years of the messenger of Satan dogging his trail, staying with him everywhere he went, he quit praying after the third time and he began to say, I will rather glory in my infirmities. That's what he said. I'm afraid that many of us, sometimes God is trying to give us a gift. He's trying to give us a gift. You know what we're doing with it? We're pushing it away. We're pushing it away. But it's God's gift. But you say, preacher, it's a thorn. Preacher, it's a stake. Preacher, it looks like it'll bring pain and heartache and hurt to me. But it'll never bring harm to you. It'll make you mature. It'll help you to grow up in the Christian life. Lord, help me. Help me to stop complaining so much about the thorn and ask you to help me to let you work the thorn truce in my life. There's a ministry about the thorn. I remember reading, I'm through, George Matheson was a preacher in Scotland. George Matheson was engaged to get married. He was engaged to a young lady and they were going to get married and he, uh, he was a young preacher and he began to see spots before his eyes. I've got several books in my library that, that was not pinned by him, but other people pinned down what he said. And what happened? He began to go blind. The doctor said, George Matheson, you're going blind. You're going to lose your eyesight. And the girl that he was engaged to come to him and said, George, I will not marry a blind man. I will not lead you around the rest of our married life. She said the engagement's off. Later on, he sat down brokenhearted and he wrote the only song he ever wrote, Oh, love that will not let me go. Talking about the love of God. I'm glad God's love will never let us go. No matter what kind of handicap we may encounter through life or what happens to us, God will never part from us. But then well, what he became, and he became an accomplished great preacher in Scotland. His two sisters never did marry. They stayed with him and they would read him the scriptures and he would memorize chapters at a time. When he would stand to preach, he would stand and quote the entire chapter and then he would begin to preach the blessed truths of the word of God. In a diary that he, he didn't know, it was kind of like a law book, kind of like his daily journal. And he had his sisters to write in there to put down. He said, Lord, I have thanked thee a thousand times for my roses, but I have never once thanked you for my thorn. And he said, today, Lord, I want to go on record. He said, I thank you for letting me go blind. 
I thank you for letting me go blind. When I read that that day, it got a hold of my heart. I had to put that book down. I got over to my secret place and just had to get along with God and confess some things. I'm so prone to complain. I'm so, I'm so prone to, you know, complain and gripe about things. When in reality, God's been awful good to me. Awful good to us. You say, but Brother Buster, there is a thorn in my life. What we need to do is let God put His grace in us. Pour that grace in us till it helps us almost embrace the thorn. And say, thank you, Lord. Hadn't been for this thorn, I wouldn't have known your grace like this, Lord. I wouldn't have known this sufficient, abounding, abundant supply. That's the truth. Why, look here. If it wasn't for the storms, you wouldn't appreciate the calm. You wouldn't appreciate the calmness. If it wasn't for the wintertime, you wouldn't appreciate the summertime. If it wasn't for the times of the thorn, you wouldn't appreciate the grace that God pours out on us. So I'm through preaching tonight. Just truths about the thorn. And probably in here, of those that have been saved any length of time, some of you are thinking about something in your life. Something in your life that you've been playing. God, take it away. God, take it away. Or God, make it happen. Make my wife to be a better Christian. Make my husband to be a better Christian. Oh, God, I just don't think I can live if you don't make them be a better Christian. What we need is God's grace to keep right on going for Him. Let's bow our heads and through preaching. You've been good to listen tonight. Thank you for coming. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. People are coming to pray. I want you just to be obedient to the Lord. If you need help, this altar is open tonight. That's what we've gathered here for. is to find help from the Lord. I appreciate young people coming tonight. Young married couples coming. Moms and dads. His grace is sufficient. These men tonight that are pastoring churches and doing the work of an evangelist. Mothers and dads here tonight, God's grace is sufficient. As Brother Jackson stood here tonight, I'm sure that he would reply very, very heartedly, God's grace has been sufficient. And you know, it will be. It'll continue to be. It's not that it was sufficient. God didn't say it like that. He said, Paul, my grace is, present tense, it is sufficient. It is now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone in this service tonight who would slip up your hand and say, Preacher Seaton, I'm not saved. Preacher Seaton, I am not a Christian tonight. I'm not saved. And I wish that you'd pray for me. Have this church to pray for me. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here like that tonight? One more question and we're going to pray tonight. Is there anyone here who would say, Brother Buster, there's a particular burden that I'm carrying. A particular need in my life and I wish that you'd help me to pray about it. I covet your prayers about this situation, this need. Is there anyone like that? All over the building, hands. Our Father tonight, in Jesus' precious name, we bow before you with your people. Lord, we humble ourselves here. Throne of grace.